Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you all for being here on a Sunday after we've, some of us, already been here. And um, hope you've enjoyed this opportunity to look at what the view from Chalet Hill on Christmas Day looks like. This was uh, last Christmas. We took a little walk around the village and took a, tried to take a picture of every, every building. And so this was one of the nice ones that turned out from that. So this is an opportunity for uh, Sarah, myself, and Eleanor to um, first and foremost offer our, our gratitude and um, share a lot about, uh, in a short time, what we experienced uh, during this gift of sabbatical um, from this position here uh, at St. Mark's. Um, a paid sabbatical is something that's offered to the full-time staff every five years, and this is the first time I've had a five-year uh, time elapse. So it was wonderful to take this opportunity and extend it. Uh, I extended it an extra three months without pay just to uh, have a little bit more time in this situation. Um, so first and foremost, thank you so much. This was an amazing gift. Um, to me as a musician and as a, uh, a person involved in the church to go and be part of one of the most interesting and unique uh, congregations in um, probably the Lutheran church worldwide. Uh, there are very few that are as unique, certainly uh, I wouldn't think very many as remote as Holden Village. And so uh, it, was, it was a joy to go, uh, and it was a joy to come back and um, <clears throat> just return to this place with a new perspective, new spirit, and it's good to see some friends in the room from Holden, too. <laughs> so um, we're each going to take a little time to share different things about what we experienced at Holden. Um, uh, we were there, I was there for six months, and Sarah and Eleanor were there for nine months. And um, this is something that we've been toying with for many, many, many years. Um, Holden Village is a place that I've been going since I was a kid. Uh, started going up in the 70s, and through the 70s and 80s, just on all the family trips up to Holden, I enjoyed it and got to experience it in that era with different directors, different friends, different musicians. And um, then Sarah and I had our honeymoon at Holden. And so that was, that was her first time. And then we've just continued to come back year after year and take our own kids. And each time we would go for like the last 10 years, Sarah and I had a habit of taking these wonderful long walks around uh, everywhere at Holden is, is worth a walk. And so we would take these, these long walks and the conversation was just the same conversation about 200 times. When are we gonna come up here for an extended stay? And we just started playing the possibilities through, you know, we've got jobs, how would that even work? And so we've been wanting to do it uh, for a very long time. And when the opportunity to take a sabbatical came along, we thought, okay, our sabbaticals lined up. It was like this cosmic alignment. Uh, Sarah had a year-long sabbatical, I had a year-long sabbatical, and so it was finally the right time. And we were all set to do it, 
put in our applications to hold in. It was, it was all ready to go. And then COVID hit. So um, things didn't quite go the way we had thought they would. And uh, nobody was going to be able to go to Holden and uh, just seemed like it was canceled like everything else with COVID. And so we were, we were waiting to see what else we might do. We were coming up with plan Bs. And then Holden contacted us and said, hey, you've got a potential student, don't you? And we said, well, we do. And they said, we have a potential school. And we said, well, tell us more. And so uh, it turned out that the reason we were able to go to Holden Village was because they needed a student to have a school. <clears throat> and so that was, that was the reason we were able to, to go up there this time. And uh, without that opportunity, I don't think it would have happened because uh, the, the, the place was, was not happening uh, for guests or anything like that. Um, so we, we went up uh, from August to February, in my case. Uh, Sarah and Eleanor stayed in, until May, and they opened the school. We had an incredible seasons and seasons worth of experiences, and um, just lived the life and had an experience, not the one we'd imagined, but one that has been so rich and diverse and rewarding. And um, when you go on a sabbatical, um, it's kind of different uh, depending on what you're what you're going on sabbatical from. For example, Sarah's sabbatical has, you know, research goals and things like that attached to it. My sabbatical, uh, sabbatical from this type of situation, is one of renewal, of, of deepening, and of opportunities for creation or enrichment. And so I, you know, Sarah and I have always enjoyed doing a lot of that type of thing, and we were hoping that we would be able to go up and be part of Holden with guests and all the things that I do here could happen at Holden and um, see what it would be like. And it was very interesting to have that be different because uh, worship at Holden was not with guests. It was not guest-centric as it often and has always been in our case. So just um, experiencing Holden with a new set of realities uh, other than what we had gone up with anticipation of when we first set out to take the sabbatical. Um, was one of the things we grew into and one of the important um, just areas of experience for us uh, in this six months together, about a half year for me and then more for them. So, um, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to take a pause and I'm going to turn it over to Sarah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks. There's a, there's a wonderful video that got made, and so um, this video is a way for you to get a little window into some of what we experienced. I think it gives some sights, some sounds, a lot of voices, a lot of personalities, um, and it was a chance to um, kind of for the village to communicate what happened uh, in this winter time when no guests could come. And kind of, it was a little bit of Holden reporting out to all the people that care about Holden and sort of the Holden community at large that can't be in the village. Um, and so this, this video is one to display the rhythms of life, uh, what it's like to be in the village in this time, in this strange, unique time, which it, it does some nice job um, talking about. 
Uh, it also features music that I wrote, so I was a little bit of a collaborator in this video. Um, I was able to write a piece of music up at Holden uh, that I, I will talk more about later. But the piano music featured in this was um, movements from something called the Holden Piano Suite, which I wrote towards the end of my stay. Nestled in the forested Alpine mountains and accessible only by boat and winding switchbacks, the community of Holden Village lives, works, and plays in the remote wilderness. Converted from an abandoned mining town into a place for spiritual renewal, communion with the outdoors, and justice-centered education. Over the past year, the village has remained closed to guests due to the COVID-19 pandemic, operating on a skeleton crew of around 40 people. Throughout the pandemic, Holden aligned itself with federal and state health guidelines to promote the safety and wellness of all villagers. We kept ourselves and each other safe by practicing strict quarantine procedures for all new arrivals, including social distancing, mask wearing, and COVID testing for all staff. We celebrated every negative test and zero COVID cases. Without guests, the paths were still stomped and the fires still stoked, reminding us day after day, it truly takes a village. In hope of reopening, the village has been hard at work in nourishment of each other and the place we call home. Caring for our historic buildings and fire safety equipment. Returning nutrients back into the earth with our food scraps. Reaching new heights in communications and radio signal repair. Tracing cables and labeling network checks. Practicing fire drills and first response time. Making light work with many hands. We renewed our environment with fresh paint in dozens of rooms, including the kitchen, which we completely disassembled. Scrubbing and repainting every inch from floor to ceiling. We return to our roots in creativity. In weaving. In writing. In knitting. In crafting. In stories. In spinning wool. In embroidery and careful cutting. In throwing and molding and opening. Finding peace in simple details. Coming together to fill the kiln with creation after creation. We return to our roots in community, in celebration and in silliness. In quality time, spent soaked in sunshine.
in mental math and friendly competition. In sacred spaces, sang in song together. Letting go and jumping in. Until finally, vaccination. And as those who kept us together during the pandemic move on to their next adventures, we remember each and every individual who lived through these times of uncertainty and doubt together while holding each other in community. So that video, I think, does a pretty nice job um, depicting a lot of what uh, Holden felt like this winter. And as I say a little bit more about our experience and how our family experienced that community, Cooper's going to be kind of advancing through some pictures that show um, just us in kind of daily life and some of the things that we were doing. Um, you know, I think many people are familiar with Holden as summer guests, those of you who are kind of sporting the, uh, the, the hoodies and so forth. Um, maybe you've been up there for uh, a week or two as a guest, and maybe some of you have volunteered. And I suppose some of you have maybe been there during the winter time. But for those of you who don't know, it is a different community typically during the winter. Um, you know, in the summertime, the village might have three, four hundred people, a lot of different um, volunteers who are there. But during the winter community, there might only be about 60 staff members, um, largely volunteer staff members. And then different groups will come up for, like, say, J-term or uh, retreat weekend, that kind of thing. And by all accounts, when we were planning on going up there, people would say, well, you know, the winter community is really small. It's quite a bit different. You know, kind of prepare yourselves. And so when we went up there during this particular year, it was even more that way. There were only about 35 people, as the um, video um, described. And there were no guests at all. 
in addition, because of COVID, um, people really didn't leave the village as they normally would. Typically, you might stay there for like five weeks, four weeks, six weeks, something like that, and then you would go on and out. Um, you know, you go home, you would, you know, kind of just get out of the village a little bit, kind of get a different perspective because it can be somewhat insular up there. And during COVID, people just did not go on outs typically because when you returned, there was a two-week quarantine, which then got reduced to nine days once we got some testing ability up there. But still, that quarantine time was pretty isolating, and people just didn't want to run the risk of bringing the virus back into the village because without a lot of um, uh, medical support, I mean, you're typically a medic up there, but you know, it was just um, the thought of having the virus in the village was, uh, was a pretty big deal, and so people just did not risk it. That might lead you to wonder, well, what on earth were you guys doing up there? I mean, why would even bother having people there? <clears throat> and the reason I think I came to appreciate after seeing just how the village functions, you know, I mean, the buildings are old, and the infrastructure is kind of idiosyncratic and a bit quirky, I would say. And just kind of keeping the buildings up and running and not falling into disrepair is a big job. You really do need to have kind of a crew of people there just keeping the lights on because to, to um, close a village and then to try to restart it, I think, would be extremely difficult. I think a lot of that stuff would fall into disrepair and, and it just would not really be tenable to try to then reopen it without it costing a lot of money. Um, there's also just, I think, a personnel issue. You know, trying to have volunteers come through there and manage all that stuff. There is some documentation as to, like, you know, how to work different things and how things run, but it really is a lot of tribal knowledge that gets passed on one person to the next that kind of keeps things going. And so to kind of cold start that, to kind of keep that, um, or to try to restart that momentum after a period of time would have been very, very difficult. So we were part of that group of people doing a bunch of different kinds of tasks to keep things running, to do some of the deferred, you know, kind of maintenance that you saw in the film, and um, also to be part of the communications out to the Holden kind of constituency broadly that is responsible for the... Um, just having that hold in momentum and, and keeping people connected to what the village is doing that I think is, is really critical to this place remaining open and remaining vibrant. So the jobs that we uh, did were kind of varied. We went up there um, with the understanding that we'd have to be pretty flexible about what we were doing. And so uh, the first two weeks, uh, Cooper and I had this kind of quirky quarantine job where we tested fire hoses. Um, we tested the pressure in the fire hoses. Um, we worked in the kitchen then after that, just doing basic kitchen assistance stuff. Uh, we did laundry. Um, and then we actually helped on some projects. Um, like I sewed a bunch of curtains for the hotel and um, did a lot of painting of, of different interior spaces. Um, it was a great time to do that sort of thing since there weren't guests. As you saw, you know, you could take that big kitchen apart and clean all those walls and paint everything. Um, and then after about three or four months of that, I started to help, um, actually, uh, Jennifer, who is here, with some of the grant writing for the village to get operating funds and different, um, kind of, there's a few capital requests, and, and so um, I did that sort of work. 
Um, towards the end of his stay, and Cooper will talk about this a little bit more, he was actually able to be kind of an artist in residence and, and was able to work four days a week writing the piece that you just heard featured in the video um, and some other things. So that's kind of how we, what, our, what our jobs were. Um, I think our family's presence in the village also was important maybe um, for some demographic diversity, honestly, just some age diversity. Having Eleanor as a student in the school actually uh, was part of, I think, what ultimately kind of contributed to um, some vibrancy there. I think certainly having uh, a school as part of a functioning community is really um, an important thing. And to have that then um, in place so that it, we could kind of assure that it would be around for the following years was, was really um, part of what our family did. And um, I think it, we were some of the few people who were about over the age of 40, quite honestly. When we got there, um, things were very shut down. They had been on a very strict lockdown since about March or April. And when we arrived in August, there was a group of about uh, 20 or so folks who were pretty recently graduated from college who had been um, in a shutdown, kind of lockdown mode where they were um, able to be in their dwelling spaces and in their workspaces, but not visiting with each other. Um, we were not eating in the dining hall. Uh, there were not indoor sort of gatherings of any sort because of COVID. And so when we arrived, things really had a very, very different feel. I think that kind of community that you typically associate with Holden was not, was not present. It just couldn't be. Because at that point, people did not know what safely gathering would look like. And those procedures were just not in place at that time. If you recall back to what May, June, July last year felt like, we just did not have any of those uh, kind of good, healthy guidelines established. So after... Um, a couple of months, um, some of that work was done, and slowly things began to kind of open up in the village. And I think that, um, you know, just having a family there and having some uh, some diversity in age kind of helped to reestablish what it feels like to be uh, a more diverse community in, in terms of its interests. I think um, having shared meals, having shared evening gatherings was part of the thing that Cooper and I had always, um, and Eleanor too, had always wanted to be part of. Um, when we thought about what it meant to go to Holden, one of the things that we had wanted to do was be part of a worshiping community and to, to be able to do music with people there. And so after about two months, um, some of those evening gatherings started back up again. And one of the very, very nice uh, parts of our stay was the ability to be in a choir. We would say to each other frequently when we would gather uh, for choir practice on Saturdays that we were probably one of the only groups of people who were able to do that in that, that we were even aware of and to do so safely. Um, while the quarantine process was very strict, Everybody abided by it and really believed in it because it was then the very thing that allowed us to get together and to gather safely with each other. Um, we could be a big pod of 30, 35 people. And we knew then that there was really no 
uh, chance that there was COVID in the village. And so one of the things that we were able to do then was, was to sing together. So Cooper, I think, is going to have a few things to say about that here. So here's a picture of the choir. Um, as Sarah said, uh, you know, you notice we're singing, we're shoulder to shoulder, there's no masks, we're sharing air, we're pumping that air out of our mouths and not even worrying about it because that was the beauty of this. With the super strictness of the measures, the extreme isolation of Holden, literally uh, COVID just couldn't exist where we were. And once that was firmly established, we could behave as a completely normal non-COVID situation. And so this is a, a really nice picture of uh, the choir that was formed in the time we were there. One of the things that happened uh, right before COVID is that I wrote a new setting of the Compline service for St. Mark's here. Um, uh, we've done lots of different settings of Compline over the years in Lent. And so uh, the Compline service that we wrote, um, or that I wrote for that, was um, done one time here at St. Mark's, and then COVID hit, and we couldn't do it again. And so when we went up to Holden, I brought that Compline service and thought, what if we did this in Advent? And so it was a wonderful thing that we did in Advent at Holden was to uh, experience a special service of Compline uh, with this choir, and we did it every Monday night, and it was just a wonderful thing to be part of. And we had a wonderful choir at Holden. I mean, you wouldn't think that when you have literally only 30 people that you'd be able to cobble together a choir that could really do interesting and challenging music, but these people totally could do it. And so uh, it was so wonderful to do this. I'm gonna play you a recording of uh, the choir singing in Koinonia, uh, one of the movements from the Compline. Guide us waking, O God, and guide us Yeah. Uh -huh. 
So uh, what, you, what you're hearing there, um, what you're hearing there is, is exactly the room you're seeing. So that's, that's exactly what it sounded like because it was recorded right there where you see it with those people. Um, a few, a few th things I want to point out about this picture. One is that uh, on the left, uh, the, the blonde-haired woman, Kathy, and right above her, Mark, those are two of the three directors of Holden Village. And so I love the fact that Holden right now has choral enthusiasts as directors. <laughs> they loved singing in the choir. They never missed a rehearsal. They wanted to do a cappella four-part music as often as we could. And so it was so fun to have that um, happen. Uh, we actually have two members of this choir who showed up today. Give a wave, Chance and Ian. <laughs> they, they came today from uh, recently departing Holden, and uh, it's exciting to have, have them here. I'm, I'm hoping to get a chance to visit with them later. Um, then there's one very special person in this picture who you can barely see. Uh, you see Eleanor in the picture? She's right in the middle. Right behind Eleanor is just a tiny part of a man named Rolf Vegdahl. And Rolf is one of those musicians. He is one of the guys who, like Ray McKeever, like Marty Haugen, like these people who uh, have written a million songs that have been published in a million places and recorded a million ways, is just kind of the soul of the heart sound of what people think of when they think of Holden Village music. And the fact that Rolf was up there and part of this community with us was one of the true gifts to me of this sabbatical. Uh, Rolf was a constant friend, a constant collaborator. Uh, we just kind of are, we are about as different musically as you can get. Um, the piece that you just heard, Rolf loved it, but he just looked at me and said, you know, Cooper, this is just not my, you know, I don't do this stuff, but I love it. And the stuff that Rolf did was just the sort of thing that everybody's smiling, everybody's tapping their toes, and you just want to show up for anything Rolf does. Uh, he's so talented and so wonderful. Um, so one of the things uh, that's fun is Rolf and I are super good friends, having uh, lived together for all this time now, and I'm hoping to bring Rolf for some guest action here at St. Mark's. It would be so fun to bring him over. Uh, I'd love to have him do some of his music with the choirs and just uh, have fun together with Rolf, because that's what happens. When Rolf's doing music with you, you're having so much fun. Um, so that's just a special footnote, because he was one of the biggest aspects of uh, my musical life at Holden. Um, so, <clears throat> the creativity at Holden is one of the strongest um, cornerstones of what I've always experienced there. It emerges in ways that feel sacred, it emerges in ways that feel profane, it emerges in ways that feel formal, it emerges in ways that feel casual. Um, it's, just, it's just everywhere. It's just part of what happens at Holden. Um, so, being part of a musical, a uh, visually artistic, a dance-interested, a um, you know, weaving arts-interested, everything that you can imagine creatively happens at Holden all the time. And to be part of that community was <clears throat> one of the things that I was hoping for in this sabbatical that did not get altered from what I was, what I was hoping. Um, 
so there was so many talented and wonderful people to do art with of all sorts at Holden. And um, <clears throat> I, wanna, I wanna go ahead and give Eleanor now a chance to share because I mentioned the woven or the textile arts and um, she had an opportunity uh, based on the need to integrate an art credit for her school uh, to do some of the things that you see be behind me here. Um, so I made all those stools. Um, I should probably re like rewind a little bit. So when I was up there, it was just me and Karen, the teacher, who was Rolf's wife, actually. And every day, well, not every day, I had weekends off. Five days a week, I would go to the schoolhouse, just walk a little bit, go to the schoolhouse, and just do school with her. We would watch these videos and just kind of do class. Like, it felt more like I was being tutored than, like, taught, which is kind of the same thing. But um, it was just really kind of personal and wonderful. And I'm really grateful to have a teacher like her. But one of the really great things about Karen was that she was really good at art. She could do all sorts of artistic things. She was really good at weaving. She knew just like how to like start a project from start to finish, like really see a vision through. And so I've always wanted to kind of make stoles because to me they're like the perfect little, like they're the perfect sewing project. They're like not super, you don't have to think about like 3D shapes or anything. And I've always kind of wanted to do that because they're just so cool looking. And I thought it would be a nice sort of sabbatical thing for me, because I was kind of on a sabbatical up there too, to make stoles for all the people I could think of at the church. So um, that one is for Hallie, that one is for Jan, that one is for Ingalori, that one is for Siggy, and that one is for Emily. And they're based on like just sort of the scenery around Holden, and the stained glass, I always, I, they're kind of a fusion of, if you've ever been in the village, if you look, if you're in the village center and you look at the ceiling, it's, it's kind of this like really wonderful art. And so it's a fusion of like the stained glass here, the scenery at Holden and the ceiling of the village center is kind of the creative vision for that. Um, they just, they're kind of infused with little details from around the village and it took me, I think, a full, almost a full year to make it because I started like drawing the patterns when I first got there, which was in August, and then I finished embroidering that stole a couple weeks ago. So it kind of is full circle like that. Um, I'm just really happy that I got to be up there and do that with Karen. One other art, uh, like artistic thing I did up there for my art credit was there's a pottery studio up there with Kate Egolf. She is the village potter, or yeah, she's the village potter. And I got to do a lot of wonderful pottery up there too, like make mugs and little tiles, and that was also really fun. So I think it was just a really wonderful um, opportunity for me to grow as a student get like you know finish sophomore year like got I, I like I passed the year which was also a plus um you know and also to just grow creatively so yeah That's what I did. 
and Sarah and I will will never be uh, we we will always be so grateful for this opportunity that Eleanor had to have in person education at a time when almost everybody in the world was doing remote uh, classwork. So, and I've never heard of a better ratio than one to one. <clears throat> And uh, so Sarah's now going to talk about uh, some of more of the creative specifics of what we were doing together. Thanks. So I think many of you guys know that Cooper and I have been writing hymns together for about eight years now. Um, it was something that we began when I was on sabbatical seven years ago. I get a, a sabbatical every seven years from the university. And as he mentioned, I do have to do research that's related to my, um, my training in my area. But one of the kind of side things that I um, like to do is have something that is an artistic expression or just something different to augment that work that I do at the university. And so we began writing hymns about seven years ago, the last time we were on sabbatical. It's something that we've continued doing and, and something that um, I think has been uh, a way for us to grow closer. It's been really nice to have a shared artistic collaboration. Um, Y'all who know us know Cooper and I are quite different from each other in many ways. And um, what's been uh, so wonderful about writing hymns is that you know, I do my part, and he does his part, and then they come together, and we kind of hammer out a lot of the, the finer details uh, to get something to a point where we, where we like it. In the past, when I've written the lyrics, and typically, I would say, nine times out of ten, we always start with the lyrics, I have used sermons, oftentimes, as a springboard for the text that I write. And... Um, a lot of times I'll try to link it to the lectionary reading so that, you, you know, it's a little broader. I try not to make it so niche that you can only use it every three years when that set of readings comes back up again. Um, but without having sermons, it was a little bit challenging to figure out how to write hymns. We went up there and, and I knew that I wanted to do something like that. But the, um, the way in which sacred space took shape at Holden was not like a traditional worship service, the kind that we have here, that we're always tied to lectionary readings with a, a pastor giving a sermon. In fact, there wasn't really a village pastor for most of the time that we were there. But different groups of people would come forward and kind of plan uh, worship or plan sacred space. And um, that was actually very meaningful. Um, but I found that it was kind of hard to write hymns based on that. For whatever reason, it just kind of, um, it, it didn't quite do it for me. So what we did in kind of in place of that was use kind of the context in this time and things that I was reading. There's lots of stuff, obviously, you can read online or uh, different books and articles and so forth. And what we have here, um, it's part of the handout that you got when you walked in are three different hymns that were part of their time up there uh, that spoke uh, specifically to some of the things that we were experiencing at Holden. So we're going to be um, singing these together, or you're going to be listening to recordings. We have a kind of a combination of things that we'll be doing to share these with you. But I'll just say briefly that um, at the top of each, I've written a little description of um, kind of some of the inspiration or what I was trying to do when I wrote the text for those. 
um, clearly, like the one that is that you'll hear first is very much related to my experience and my understanding of other people's experience of what living through uh, COVID has been like, especially its impact maybe on people's um, uh, connection to their understanding of their religion or to spiritual beliefs or how they have, um, uh, how those have changed for people, how we might still be in that process of change and what that feels like. Uh, the second one is actually one that I began writing uh, before we left, but I think you'll see um, uh, certainly the impact of being in, a, in an environment that is so uh, striking and where you're very much surrounded by nature and very much aware of uh, the impact of climate change and the way in which we might be called to respond to that. And then the last one um, that we'll be singing is something that I wrote for Advent last year where uh, a team of people who were preparing the, the services during Advent decided to really live into um, understanding the construct of darkness and how uh, darkness can be quite sacred. And the four weeks of Advent were sort of structured around really looking into that along with um, considering how pregnancy oftentimes um, kind of maps onto darkness and what that might be like if you're looking at um, Advent through that lens. So I think the first thing we're going to be doing here is just playing one of the songs uh, first. I don't know if you want to say a word about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah musically, um, I wanted to just mention a few things about this first song. Um, musically, um, actually I'll go back to this. The uh, the woman right above my left hand, I'm directing there in sort of uh, profile, uh, with the long sort of sandy blonde hair, her name's Janelle. She's a wonderful flautist, and so I collaborated with her on this song. And Rolf is uh, playing guitar on this song. So this, this, is, this was a wonderful collaboration that existed during the artist-in-residence period that I was able to spend uh, just writing music for the last six weeks of my time at Holden. So this song is the first of the ones on your handout. Tell. 
no longer could some stand the ache or enduring sorrows and illness spread as for the earth also felt the world's going to do two more songs. Um, this next one we're going to have you sing with us. So this is in your handout and we're going to invite Kirsty and John to come up to help lead this one. So Christ Before Us in the Waters is one that I'm going to go ahead and demonstrate the first verse and then we'll all join on verses two and three. Earth affirms your vast creation, we are part of your design. Formed in love, baptized in water, to declare God's love divine. Christ before us in the waters, in all rivers deep and Thank you. 
I think Sarah and I wrote seven or eight hymns uh, during the sabbatical, and uh, she mentioned this next one, The Quiet Presence of the Dark, which was used during Advent, um, and we're just going to demonstrate this one for you. soon to an advent near you. <clears throat> so um, one of the last things I'm going to share today um, is something very, very, very fun that I've never done before, which was to write instrumental music. Um, I'm typically, you know, a, a worship artist, and so uh, almost all of my compositions have been geared towards choirs, towards uh, congregational song. And when Sarah and I were in quarantine, one thing that I couldn't do, and I, I don't think there's been a time in my life when I couldn't, is for two solid weeks, I couldn't play the piano. <laughs> and I, would just, I was just kind of lurking outside the village center, just like ready for when the quarantine was over. And when, I, when quarantine was over, within an hour, the first thing I did is I went into the village center, which has a gorgeous, just giant, concert grand piano in it. 
and I just sit down and I, I played for a long time. And in that, that session, I wrote the first piece uh, which of what became my sort of like Holden piano reflections that then emerged into a project that I made into a seven movement uh, suite for piano. Um, Holden was really excited about um, art that got created during this, this time. And so uh, the directors and the village helped uh, fund the publication of the Holden piano suite. Uh, and so this is, this is the first thing that I've had um, published not independently. Um, Sarah and I have a, a book of hymns that we've published ourselves, but this was published by Holden. And uh, if you're interested, you can buy it on the Holden website. Uh, we don't actually have copies. This is just like one of two copies that I have. Um, but uh, it's, a really, it's a really great way to support the village if you wanna, if you wanna buy a copy. And if you like to play the piano, they're not that hard. Um, a few of them are, a few of them are. I, I have trouble playing a few of them. <laughs> but um, some of them are very easy. And I wanted to feature the last of the pieces from this. Just, uh, I'll I wanted to play it today. And um, it's a piece that was a real exciting one for me because I, I was trying to think of what's a way to really fittingly write a piano piece about Holden Village. And the suite kind of covers the arc of a day at Holden. Uh, starts with a piece called Waking Neath the Ridge. I played it for the prelude this morning at church. Um, and at the end of the day at Holden, you've typically just come home from Vespers. And everybody's worshipped together. And once a week, Vespers is Holden Evening Prayer. And Holden Evening Prayer is like musically the most cornerstone thing from Holden Village. People who think of Holden Village and music tend to think of Holden Evening Prayer. How many of you are familiar with Holden Evening Prayer? Okay. Um, so what I did is the last piece in the suite is called Echoes of 86. Because at Holden, they don't call it Holden Evening Prayer. They call it Vespers 86. And so Echoes of 86 was my uh, reflections and improvisations on Holden Evening Prayer. Um, and the fun thing was to, to do it, I had to get permission from Marty Haugen. So, um, you know, I sent him a recording of it, and he loved it, and he was super nice to me. So um, getting to collaborate with, with Marty Haugen was, was one of the joys of being up there, and uh, just him hearing my music and being super interested in supporting it uh, was, was just something I didn't think I'd ever experienced, so that was exciting for me. So I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna end here with uh, my, my last movement of the Holden Piano Suite, which was something that took up the, the bulk of my work in that um, six-week artist-in-residence time, uh, creating this suite along with the uh, final works of the hymns. <clears throat> and then um, we'll just say a few words at the end. That was when I, um, this was me performing it uh, live at Holden just in like the last few days before I departed.
Thank you. All proceeds go to Holden Village. <clears throat> so um, to close, I just wanted to say that this was really a, a fantastic once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us. Um, we are so grateful for the gift this congregation gave us in uh, this sabbatical opportunity. Um, we look forward to continuing to share things we've done. Um, I hope to have a session where Sarah and I can uh, unveil all of the different uh, things we created up there musically. Uh, we'll certainly be using uh, numerous of them in worship. Uh, and just, we'd be happy to talk to any of you about our experience, because there's, I mean, a lot more than an hour's worth. <laughs> so, um, Feel free to come and just look up close at any of the, uh, the stoles, and we'd love to talk to you and uh, just share stories as the opportunity arises. So again, thank you so much.